Thank you for listening to this podcast episode from Bose Church. We pray this message blesses and encourages you. If you don't belong to a local church, we would love to see you on Sunday morning. Oh, good morning, church. How are we today? I am so thankful to be able to see each and every one of you here this morning. Um, two weeks in a row of me, you might be wondering, man, who signed off on this? Like, why is this guy up here again? Yes, two weeks in a row. And for those who are new or visiting, uh, my name is Justin Whitcomb, and I'm one of the pastors here at Foes Church. This week, we will be continuing on in our series through the book of Ephesians that we have titled, Worthy of the Call. And if you weren't able to join us last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, in which we see Paul continue his exaltation of God through the work of Christ. Paul shines a light on a new reality that Jesus has ushered in for us. Paul shows that outside of Christ, there are, are many differences that separate us, that, that cause division in the world. I mean, you can simply turn on the TV this morning and see that that's true for us today. Whether it's race or gender or social class, the world is completely divided. And that's what Paul showed us in the text last week, is that that's what sin does. Sin divides. Paul emphasized that that division was also, at that time, uh, amongst the worshipers of God. We see that Jews and Gentiles were not only separated by the covenant promises. They weren't partakers in the same promises. The Gentiles had none and the, and the Jews had the promises. But they were also separated by a, a literal wall, a divider within the temple. There was the court of the Gentiles and the temple proper in which the Jews could enter. And so what we see is that Paul has destroyed this division that separates people. He has, Christ has eliminated it. And so everyone who puts their faith in Christ can now Come to God not only in confidence, but in one spirit as one body. What good news. That is great news. Paul is going to continue in this glorification of God through Christ in our section today. He's going to identify that the revelation that we've received through the work of Jesus is greater than you could ever imagine. But before we get into our text today, I'd like to share a story with you. It's actually a, a short story by an author named Philip Dick called The Adjustment Team. Uh, you may have seen the movie that was based off, based off this book called The Adjustment Bureau. And this story takes place in New York City and follows a ma man named Ed Fletcher. Now, Ed works for a major insurance com company in New York City. And one day in this building he works in, he comes across this odd door, this odd door. And and by accessing this door and accessing this remote part of the roof of this building, he comes across a, a group of men who are uh, affecting the lives of the people in the city. They're controlling and manipulating their every move. The group of guys is part of an organization called the Adjustment Team. Ed discovers that the reason for this group's existence is to ensure that all people come in, in line with the plan. Now, while the basis of this story in particular is meant to actually undermine the idea of predetermined events, 
it does show us something else that's applicable for us today. Because in one moment, in one moment, something, uh, an event so small that could be easily dismissed, an insignificant moment potentially to those who are witnessing it, a moment like opening a door can reveal something so much greater is happening. And that's what Paul is showing us today in our text, that the, that the world might dismiss Jesus. The world may try to make it seem like the work of Jesus is insignificant, that this, this Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago died on a cross. He was, he was defeated by his enemies. But in fact, the work of Jesus reveals the great and eternal plan that God has been working out. Paul is going to show us that the work of Jesus is everything. The world hasn't seen it, but Paul is going to show that the revelation of Christ's work is greater than we can imagine. And so our text this morning gives us two ways to see how no greater love has been revealed than God's love for us in Christ. Look back with me at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The first way in which we see that there is no greater love that has been revealed than God's love for us in Christ is that the mystery of the gospel shows our great need for God's love. And so in order for us to be able to understand the greatness of God's love, we must understand that there is a great need for God's love. And Paul begins by identifying that the work he has committed to is a, is a, has resulted in him becoming a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't state which prison he is in or what people he is being subjected to. He states that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He recognizes that the work that he's been called to is something that he is willfully submitting himself to. This is the work he has been called to. And this work is, though for Christ's glory, it is on behalf of the Gentiles. In verse 3, he is echoing the previous section. He's showing that now we all have access to God through one spirit as one body. He says that he has briefly written about this already. Because both Jews and Gentiles were separate. But they're also separate from God, as we saw last week. But the dividing wall is down, and we are now one body in Christ. But how, however, in this section, Paul is going to build off this foundation he laid in the previous section. He's going to share the further implications of Christ's work. That is, not only are we now one body coming to God in one spirit, but we now are all fellow heirs in Christ, that we all are, are, are receiving the same promises in Jesus. And this is so profound because there's this element of God's working that had been hidden 
from his creation. When we look at history and understand ancient cultures, we can see that there's always been this desire to, to reach out to something greater and be approved by it, to be loved by it. When studying ancient Egyptian empires, some of the earliest civilizations, we see evidence of this. It's clear that this civilization valued the afterlife. It was of great importance. Actually, one of the most basic principles in Egyptian culture in this time was maintaining ma'at. To do this, one had to live a just, ethical, and harmonious life. It involved following moral and ethical guidelines, such as truthfulness, generosity, and respect for others. Not only did it value living in a particular way, not only was that involved, but what happened after you were dead was also important. And what you would see is families offering sacrifices and doing rituals on behalf of those who were transitioning to the afterlife in order to find their loved one in good favor with the deities. And these offerings included food, drink, and incense, incense at the tomb, as well as prayers and, and spells. And, and while Egypt gives us a clear example of how far ancient cultures lived, uh, ancient cultures from the beginning of time, we also see other ancient cultures uh, valuing the, the same thing, making the, the same attempts. The ancient Romans had a saying, I give so that you may give. The ancient Greeks said, the gods aid those who are brave. And, and the examples could go on and on and on of people throughout history seeking the, the powers that be that they believe were supernaturally controlling everything, seeking their approval, seeking their love. And, and what this is is a, a futile example of trying to fill something inside that only God can fill. The church father, Augustine of Hippo, said this in his famous book, Confessions. <clears throat> you are truly great, Lord, and deserving of the highest praise. Your power as immense and your wisdom knows no bounds. You invite humanity to offer their praise, even though we are but a tiny part of your creation. As flawed mortals, we carry the burden of our sin and acknowledge your resistance to the proud. Still, we desire to sing your praises. For you have awakened us to find joy in honoring you. You have created us for yourself, and our hearts remain restless until they find their rest in you. And so there's this element in our design, in our design uh, that we were created for him, that we want to seek God. But sin has warped that desire in the world. Sin has made it that we were, are seeking other gods to fill the gap that God created in us for himself. And the world sees evidence of him all around them, yet they reject him and seek these other gods. And so we seek gods in other places. We seek love in other places. We take our worship to other places. And all the while, the world is oblivious to the desperate need they have for Christ. The desperate need. Do you remember that time? That time in your life when you were trying to fill that part that was missing inside you? The time of your life when you were longing for something more in this world. That is the reality that our world currently lives in. If you look, if you, again, if you turn on the TV, it's ever clear that the world is trying to fill the hole that only God can fill. 
But this is the great mystery that has been revealed in Christ, the hidden reality of God working his plans in the world, that there could be a way for hopeless humanity to find their rest in him. As Paul says in verse 6, Christ came to make all nations partakers in the promises of God. We are now all fellow heirs of those promises. This is the buildup of the previous chapter, showing that the dividing wall has been broken down, that now, now that we are one body, that we all are fellow heirs in receiving God's good blessings. And yes, we come to God with confidence now, but we are a part of a family and receive all of his goodness through Christ. As Paul became, as he says here, as he became a minister of the gospel, this morning, can you think of a better mission to be a part of? This is the message that has not only transformed you and led you to God's rest, but you have a message to bring to this broken world. And God's Holy Spirit resides in you, empowering you to bring that message to a lost and broken people. In God's grace, you not only receive the promises, but you receive his Holy Spirit. And when you understand the greatness of what God has done through Christ and the hope found in the revealed mystery of God's working, then it becomes so clear that the world is in a desperate need of this message. It's when we find ourselves aware of this desperate need that we can truly understand and appreciate the great love that we have received. Look back with me at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so the, the second way in which we see that there is no greater love that has been revealed than God's love for us in Christ is the work of Christ is the revealing of God's eternal love. God's eternal love. And so Paul begins this this next section by giving depth to the blessing that is found in Jesus. And he tells his audience that this was God's plan all along to show his great love to the unworthy. He says that the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Now, when we look at the world as humans, we have a, a great ability to search, right? Uh, when we, we can, we've found the, the deepest place in the ocean, the the Marianas Trench, which goes as deep as 124 miles. It's wild because that is deeper than some states are, U.S. states are wide. And Mount Everest's peak is the highest altitude above sea level at 29,029 feet. And we have the ability to discover points in the universe that are 32 billion light years away. And yet you and I this morning are told that the depths of the blessings we have in Christ are unsearchable. We have the ability to search out all of creation, but God's word tells us that we cannot search the depths of the riches and love that we have in Jesus. I mean, if that doesn't pump you up this morning, I want you to check your pulse. Make sure that you are alive right now because 
If that doesn't make you want to jump up and down and think that God loves me so much that I could never even fathom his love, there is truly no other greater love to know. The riches of Christ are unsearchable. And God has given us a love that's so great that we can't comprehend it. But pay attention to this next part. Paul says that the wisdom of God and pouring out his love for sinners is made visible in the church. He says that he uses the church to show his wisdom to the nations. Now you might be thinking, looking at this, this, this group in this room, is it just because he saves the wisest people? I mean, it's a pretty wise group of people in this room, right? No, no, that is, you might think that sometimes that, that there's something about us, but the reality is, is that it's in spite of us that we see God's wisdom shown through the church. This is rooted in the reality we've seen Paul give us in this previous section that what Christ has done to bring us into one body. If you look around this morning at people, you're going to see people who look like you, but you're going to see people also who don't look like you. You're going to see people from different backgrounds and, and social levels, different ages, all sorts of differences. And what the gospel shows us, what the good news of Jesus shows is that anything that divides us in this world, the things that we see on the television that would keep us separate, that at times seeps into the church, that God has broken down that wall. He has broken down the wall of division. That we come in together here with one spirit as one body. And as we do this and we show a brotherly love in Christ to one another, we display the wisdom of God to the nations. We show the powers above that there isn't anything that you can propagate towards us that's going to separate us because that's my brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And that is our unity and that is our bond and that is the great work of the gospel. That is the wisdom that God shows through his people. This world is divided and at odds with one another. You can't help but see news stories of people hating each other for their differences. But we get to come into this place and form a community that loves each other despite differences because our greatest unifying thing is that we've experienced the love of Jesus. So show that love of Jesus to one another today. Love each other as Christ loved you and doing so, showing the wisdom of God to the nations. People will know us by our love. People will look at us and think, wow, that's, they're so weird. I don't want people to think you're weird. I want people to think I'm weird. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to be like, yeah, you're normal. You flip that guy off uh, uh, driving because he cuts you off, right? That's normal. Hating people is normal. No, I want to be weird. I want to be different for the sake of the gospel. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The church shows God's wisdom through that unifying love of Christ. And as we take in this reality of God's infinitely great love to us through Jesus, be aware that you get to show that wisdom by expressing Christ-like love to one another, whether we're gathering here or gathering in our homes, gathering in public. And actually, Scripture sets that as an expectation for us, that our love for one another would be our testimony of him. That our love for one another would be our witness to the world that we have received Christ. Because the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, Beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love, does not know, who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, let us love one another. Let us love one another. If the love of God is something you've experienced and the love of God stirs your heart and the love of God produces joy, let you love one another. Love your brother and sister. They might be, you might think they're weird. You might think you don't have anything in common with them. No, you have the greatest thing in common with them. You have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have his spirit. This room needs to be marked by love for one another that we might proclaim our, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so if you are here and you've been transformed by the love of God, let it be your mission to joyfully express that love to one another. When we live in a community that loves one another in this way, despite our differences, we make a statement to the divided world. The love that we testify to is an eternal love. Paul says that in Jesus, we see God's eternal purposes fulfilled. Now, if you're, if you're attending foundations, our foundations class, the idea of eternality is probably fresh in your mind. I feel like I, could, I should be able to point someone out here and be like, talk to me about God's eternality and what makes that special. We see that God's eternal purpose is to love us, to show love to the unworthy is a plan that doesn't change. If, eter- if eternality means that God doesn't have a beginning and God doesn't have an end and that he is forever one and the same, that means his eternal purposes have always been there. This isn't a plan B. It wasn't like, oh man, didn't think Adam was going to sin so fast. Wow. I better figure something else out right now. No, what we see here is that it was God's eternal purposes to pour out his riches in Christ on us, his eternal purposes. Rest assured in that. Go in confidence that our God is a God who plans to save. Whereas Paul is saying by saying this purpose is eternal, that's something he has to develop. Again, this is something that he intends to do. How great is our God? How unsearchable are his ways? While God knew that mankind would choose sin, he had a plan all along to redeem the unworthy. We see the God who created all things had a plan to reconcile to himself all things. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, which shares many themes with the book of Ephesians, if you put them up next to each other, you will see very similar language by the apostle to these churches. We see him say in Colossians 1, verses 19 through 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's God's plan not only to save, but to send out the saved. Right? We gather here together to worship him, to proclaim his goodness to us and the great things he has done for us. But it is part of his eternal purposes to send out the saved to the lost and broken world that more people might be saved. And as a result, we see the message of the gospel going to the ends of the world for God's glory, for his kingdom. It was his plan, whether in heaven or on earth, to reconcile all things, making peace by the blood 
of his cross. It is a love that is so deep in riches that we could never find the bottom. That is what God is calling you to do today. Yes, God is concerned about saving you. He has saved you. And he has shown his love to you and he's poured that out to you. But his purposes are for you, his eternal purposes to take that love out to the nations that we might see his glory, that we might see him honored in our lives. Are you on mission this morning to make the great love of Jesus known to those around you so that you might be a part of God's plan to reconcile to himself all things? It is his plan, it is his purpose, and what God sets out to do, he will accomplish. Are you part of that this morning? We can't just sit in these walls, as Pastor Tyler said before, hide it, don't hide that light under a bushel. No, don't do it. God, let it shine. We have to go out of these walls and proclaim it to a broken world. That's why we do events like Trunk or Treat. It's not because I love Halloween so much. My, my son Judah likes to talk about how pumpkins and skeletons are pooky. He loves pooky things. But I don't love pooky things, and I don't particularly like Halloween. But our Trunk or Treat event is the opportunity to be a church on fire drawing in lost people in a dark world. We see the, 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 the great preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, saying you don't have to tell people a church is on fire, they see it. Let's draw people in by the fire in this church, by showing the love of Jesus to one another. Let's draw them in. That's why we do things like Trunk or Treat, because we are a people on mission, and I believe that God's word tells us we are to take all things captive. Right, let's take all things captive for the glory of Christ. The world says, no, we're gonna use it for this purpose. No, we say we're gonna use it for the glory of Jesus. We understand that his, those eternal purposes of God to show his great love to us, when we understand that, we fully understand that there is no greater love that the world can know. We have seen a great need for lost people to know this unsearchable great love of Jesus. What are we going to do? In our final verse of this section, verse 13, Paul says this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Has anybody in here ever had a conversation with a loved one, a coworker, a friend about Jesus that didn't go well, that was uncomfortable, felt pushy? Likely if you haven't, if this is gonna become your mission this morning, you will. Because the, the world is lost and broken and it's dark. And the reality is, is that sinners do love to sin. That's a reality that Jesus Christ himself tells us. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus. And people loved their darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. But let Paul's words this morning stir up encouragement in you. Do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. There is no greater good than you could show someone. There is no greater love you could show someone than giving them the good news of the love of Jesus. And while people may not always want to hear it, and at times people might be hostile towards you, it would be so much more unloving 
to not have that conversation because you don't want to be uncomfortable or you don't want to feel that pressure. The popular magician, I, I guess he's a magician, an atheist, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, said this about Christian evangelism. He said, if you genuinely believe that people who, and you said atheist, if you genuinely believe that people who don't share your faith are going to suffer for eternity, it is a moral obligation to save them, even if it might be perceived as pushy or offensive. I am positive that me and Mr. Gillette do not share a lot of the same convictions on religion. But I am, I am certain that me and him agree on that. And it's not so much that I'm worried about the flames and the eternal damnation. I'm worried about souls being separated from Yahweh. I'm worried about people not knowing Jesus, being separated from him for all of eternity. We're not trying to scare the hell out of people. We're trying to put the love of Jesus in them. Right? Does that, does that twist something in your heart? Does that stir something up to know that when you go out these doors and when you drive down the street and when you go to that gas station, when you go to that supermarket, that the people you're walking around who don't know Jesus are going to spend an eternity away from him? Good, Don. I'm glad. That I'm... Because it should. And if it doesn't, there's a problem. And if we allow that to take the, the encouragement that we find in the eternal riches that we have poured on us through Jesus, and we take that and allow it to stir up our hearts, we shouldn't be okay with knowing that we have this message, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take out to a broken world to just sit there with a bushel over our lights. So let's take the bushels off this morning. Right, let's, let's step into awkward conversations. Let's touch uh, nerves that people don't want touched. Because I promise you right now, not having those conversations doesn't, is not loving. It is unloving. Because maybe they wrestle with whatever sin they have for 50, 60, 70 years. But as we're told in God's word, that's just vapor in the air. One day here, one day gone. But life with Christ is forever. What a great and beautiful gift. Let us take that to our neighbors. Let us take that to our loved ones. Let this make you bold in your declaration of the gospel that Christ loves sinners, that he went and died for sinners, that he would redeem the unworthy and call us into a place in which we can love one another well. Let our love for one another display that to the world and let us be on mission for him. And if you're here today and you're saying, I've never experienced this great love, the unsearchable riches of Jesus, right? The love that the world can't offer you, the world from the one who created the heavens and the earth, who is working in an eternal purpose to show his love to us, and you haven't ever received this, but you're intrigued, it's easy, it's simple to receive this love. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to pour out this love for you, and as a result, uh, go ahead and hop these hurdles to get to there. No, he came to freely give the gift of grace by his blood and resurrection to sinners. It is easy for you to receive it this morning because God's word says that all you have to simply do is humble yourself. Recognize that that, that desire for you to fill God's space with other things in your life hasn't worked. It won't work. If there's any kind of illusion in here this morning that somehow we're going to earn 
our way to God's grace. Let it be shattered right now. But let it be shattered in the light of God's great riches for us that he freely shows us. God's word says that if you were to just confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved, that you can partake in this love. So I hope this morning that you've been encouraged by the depths of God's great love for you, the great unsearchable riches of Jesus. I hope that you've been encouraged to take that love out into a broken world. Take that light out of the bushel and let it shine to a dark world that desperately needs it. Showing this love no matter the cost. Let's pray.